Thank you, men. It's an excellent reminder as we go to God's Word and see a similar truth in the middle of our text in 1 John 3. I'd encourage you and invite you to take your Bible or the Bible there among the hymnals and turn with me to 1 John chapter 3 this morning. I'll let you connect the dots here for a little bit on some of these items, uh, knowing at the same time that it is Mother's Day. Um, it could be a hastily or perhaps uh, time well spent colored picture done with crayons. It could be a fistful of dandelions and clover and violets brought in as a gift that has to be put in a vase. Uh, it could be a carefully, maybe rarely cleaned room. It could be a good grade on a quiz or a test that's just brought about a lot of excitement and made someone's day. It could be neatly brushed, self-styled hair, uh, complete with bows or ribbons or hair ties. Uh, it could be yet another cannonball into the pool. It could be a concert. It could be a store set up in the family room that every member of the family has to visit. Uh, it could be a play. Really, it could probably be a million other things as well. All of the items that I've attempted to walk us through quickly and briefly this morning are things that moms are called to give their attention to. Say, hey, mom, look at this. Hey, mom, come see. Hey, mom, see what I accomplished with all of these different things. I've shared that with you before. There was a while back, I think it was a comic that I had seen um, where there was a mom kind of sitting in an outdoor chair and uh, there was kind of the edge of a pool and coming from off the side of the comic was this uh, little you know, conversation balloon that said, watch this. And I'm like, I don't get this. And I showed it to Melinda and she's like, she just laughed. Um, because I guess it's a common experience for every mom at the pool to say, hey, mom, watch, watch, watch. And there's this expectation that moms handle so graciously, so wonderfully, so lovingly to give attention yet again to something that may not be all that different or all that impressive, but to go, wow, that's great. Look at what you accomplished again. That idea came to mind as we come to 1 John chapter 3 this morning for a couple different reasons. On the one hand, I'll admit to you, it was a year and a half ago we looked at this exact text. It was in our scripture, scripture memory in 2020, and I think it was September, October time frame in there we looked at it then. And yet, I'm coming back to the text today going, hey, look at this. You need to see this. The second reason why I come back to that illustration is because this text really does merit your attention and mine. It's probably true of every text as we understand inspiration and the fact that God gave us his word in the Bible, but I will say particularly this is one of those texts that probably we would be well served to visit weekly if not daily and see what is packed in there. And so I would ask you the best that you can to give your attention to what the Spirit of God put here in His Word, to see what's there, because it's, it's truth that I need, and it's truth that you need today, and tomorrow, 
and Tuesday and really every day. In fact, the opening words of the text that we'll look at in just a moment, but I'll go ahead and jump ahead for a second, say, look at this! Behold! Like, you've got to see this. And so I would strongly encourage you and ask you to set aside the distractions and really focus on what God put here in his word and to look at it very carefully with me. So we dive into the text here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. We want to begin by considering our incredible identity. If you've been saved by Jesus Christ, he's going to describe for Christians Here is your incredible identity because of that salvation, because of what Christ has done. We could even summarize that identity this way. You are loved as God's child. Hey, look at this. It's worth noticing. You are loved as God's child. He says, behold, what manner of love the Father hath given unto us that we should be called the sons of God. And I hope, my prayer really is that the Spirit of God would use that in the lives of believers to astound them once more with what God in His mercy and grace has done for you. Because He loves you unconditionally, relentlessly, sacrificially loves you. And if we would get a hold of that thought, I do believe it would change the way that we live. So consider your incredible identity. You are loved as God's child. Notice with me first, it's communicated emphatically. He says, behold. He's calling our attention to look at this truth, to consider its reality. When we talk about beholding something, it is not like dads often look at the colored picture. Right? Far too often it can be like, hey, look at this. Like, yeah, that's nice. Like, okay, stop, focus. Take time to look. Behold. Like pause. Take in. This isn't a casual glance, but a very purposeful gaze to study, to consider. Right? I think of it, I guess maybe on vacation or maybe it's a simple sunrise or sunset at home um, where you see something taking place and you're like, you know, I don't have a camera with me, although anymore it seems like we always do. Um, but you're trying to take the, your mind and treat it like it's a video camera. I can think of even moments last summer where our family was on vacation. I'm like, you know, I wish I could just like imprint this on my mind so that it's always there, so that I don't forget. So it's like, oh, yeah, there, there was that there and there was that there. I think that's the kind of mindset we ought to grab when we start to work our way through these words to go, hey, slow down, focus. See what is here. Behold it. Take it in. I think this is a challenge for us because we are so busy, so schedule-oriented, so distracted, living in a world full of all kinds of amusements and entertainments that we don't spend much time turning something over and over and over and over in our mind. We will do well if we can focus on this text for the next 35, 40 minutes while we work our way through it. And then we'll get done and be like, okay, what's next? This text merits far more than the next 35 and 40 minutes. 
it's worth looking at over and over and over and over again. So don't miss that first word. And let me encourage you as you walk away from this morning service, through this afternoon, through uh, this week, to do what the first word says. Look at this. Our incredible identity is first communicated emphatically. Secondly, it is expressed incomparably. It's expressed incomparably. What manner of love? He's using this heightened language, this sort of exclamatory statement to say, hey, what kind of love is this? This is so incredible. Look at how great this is. Behold it. Says, what incredible, what great, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Consider how incredible it is. You know, even again today, we can stop and take the time to think back to uh, our moms. And I realize, unfortunately, because we live in a sin cursed world, it's not always the way that it should be. But for many, you can go, you know, as I get older, as I think about things, I just realize what my mom did is incredible. I appreciate that. The, the love is just astounding. I, I mean, I didn't get it. I, I ran past it. I missed it. But man, mom, thank you. That's true. That's wonderful. But I think what we see in the text here is even greater. No disrespect at all to any mom. But to realize, look at the fact that God has loved you. It's expressed incomparably. What kind of love is this? There are many, many texts we could go to in Scripture that highlight this reality. I mean, we talk often of Romans chapter 8, right? I mean, you think about that language there in Romans 8 to say, you know, God, who spared not his own son, but loved us and gave himself for us, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? And then he goes on to talk about the fact that nothing is ever going to separate you from that love of Christ. Not tribulation or distress or peril or nakedness or sword. He goes through all these different things. He's like, look at the height and the breadth and the depth of the love that God has shown to us in Jesus Christ. Because he's trying to get us to get what John he says here is, what manner of love? I like that text in Ephesians 3. It's another example, verses 14 to 21, where Paul has finished talking about the glories of salvation in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3. And in chapter 3, he's like, it was a mystery, but now it's been revealed to us. And so Paul in chapter, uh, verse 14 of chapter 3 says, I'm praying for you guys that you would comprehend with all saints what is the height and breadth and depth of the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge. He's like, I'm praying that you would begin to understand how big God's love is for you because it's bigger than you can get. It's bigger than I can get. Don't miss that. We have an incredible identity here. It is communicated very emphatically. It's expressed incomparably to say what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Third, our incredible identity is gifted freely. It's not only communicated emphatically, expressed incomparably, but it is gifted freely. The Father has bestowed upon us. 
Hath bestowed is a perfect tense verb. We talk about that occasionally, remind you of those grammar lessons that you're trying hard to forget. To say perfect tense is the action happened in the past, but the results continue in the present, right? God did give this to you back here, and it's continuing on right now. It is not like, thankfully, well, God gave you his love back here, but you know what? You've messed up a lot since then. That actually does not impact God's love for you at all. That's humbling. What that ought to do is not in boldness to go, okay, I'm going to keep doing what I want. We'll see that in a moment when we get to verse 3. What that ought to make us do is go, if he keeps loving me when I'm ugly, I'm going to love him back. Because his love will never let me go. This love is gifted freely. He's bestowed it on us. It happened in the past. It continues in the present. It is not earned. It is definitely not deserved. And it will never leave. That's an incredible identity. God has unilaterally decided to show believers an extravagant, sacrificial love. Well, how? What does that look like? And there's many ways we could spell that out. We'll even see more later in 1 John 3 later on. We'll see more when we get into chapter 4. But just for today, we want to zero in on what chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 say. And so fourth, consider with me that this incredible identity is not only communicated emphatically, expressed incomparably, gifted freely, but it is positioned relationally. It is positioned relationally. That we should be called the sons of God. He says, here's this incredible love that has transformed your identity. You're called the sons of God. Again, we will occasionally make statements. Say, you know, there's nothing like a mother's love. There is a uniqueness there. Scripture even will allude to it. I mean, in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul will talk about discipling relationships, using that as a valuable, very helpful analogy. And yet, can I remind us here in the text, there is truly nothing like the love of God the Father. Because the Father, in grace and mercy, while we were yet sinners initiates a plan to send his only son who lives in a completely perfect life, never sinning, so that he will be wrongly treated, condemned, and die a very painful, horrific death to pay for my sins and yours. So that, simply by believing, not by some kind of scorecard of like, okay, well, did they love me this week? No, simply by believing we could be saved and as we see here in the text, declared to be his sons. In other words, no longer enemies of God, but sons of God. No longer under his wrath, but recipients of his love. What an incredible relationship 
to go, God has taken you and brought you into his family because he loves you, not because you did anything at all. He says, you are my child. Nothing will ever change that reality. Here is your identity in Christ. It speaks of the relationship. It speaks of his affectionate care. It speaks of his ownership. It also speaks of a future inheritance of being with him. We're no longer rebels. We're no longer foreigners. We're no longer hopeless. We're no longer enemies. We have a home. We have a father. We have someone who loves us because in Christ we are his sons. John started here at the beginning of his letter. I think I keep coming back to it because I feel like it's one of those things we've run past where we're told, hey, we're, we're telling you about the one that we've seen, that we've heard, that our hands have handled of the word of life. He says, we're telling you all that so that you would, verse 3, have fellowship with us. But truly, who's our fellowship with? With the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John's saying, the reason I'm writing is because we're all gathered together, we're all having fellowship, but really, at the end of the day, it's about the fact we have fellowship with the one who's in heaven and his son, Jesus Christ. And yet we're told here, it's not just like we're kind of tolerated as some kind of occasional house visitor. We're sons of God, children of his because of Jesus Christ. Having considered our incredible identity, secondly, we need to understand a consequential reality. We need to understand a consequential reality. You are loved as God's child. I've said it this way to you before, and I think it's important we understand it, though. You will be misunderstood. You will be misunderstood understood. And the reality is that's okay. Sometimes we struggle with that far more than we should. We want to be liked. We want to be accepted. The world will never accept you if you are a devout, true follower of Jesus Christ. This morning in Sunday school, we were in James 4. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. The one who is a friend of the world is not a friend of God. It's why in 1 John 2, where we were just a few weeks ago, in verses 15 to 17, he told us, don't love this world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So here he says, hey, look at this. You're loved by God. You are his child. And then he says, therefore, here's the consequence, the consequential reality. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Because you are God's child, the world will not understand and may not like you. That's okay. Now, again, admittedly on our own, we don't have to give them additional reason not to. Far too often we do, because we respond in the flesh. We don't demonstrate the kind of unconditional, sacrificial love, merciful love that God showed to us. 
And we need to strive for that because, again, 1 John 2, verse 6, right? If we're going to claim to be him, we need to walk as he walked, right? The rejection of those who follow Christ is certainly a common theme in the New Testament. In fact, in the New Testament, it often isn't just rejection of them, it's persecution of them. It's like another level. We struggle like just with the rejection, like, ooh, they don't like me, they see me as bad for society, right? I mean, even the news this past week drives at some of that. But to go, you know what? It's okay. I don't expect to be understood. Jesus himself, we've spent a lot of time going back to the Gospel of John, so let me just remind you of Jesus' words in the Gospel of John. John 15, he tells his followers, verse 18, if the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Like, look, if they don't like you, just know it happened to me too. It happened to me first. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. John 16, verse 3 says, These things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. Their rejection ultimately is a rejection of God. And that's why they're not going to like the way you choose to live. That's okay. Consider your incredible identity. Understand the consequential reality. Third, find hope in your eternal destiny. Find hope in your eternal destiny. Like presently you can go, man, God loves me. I'm his son. But presently it's all so hard because people I work with, the the neighbors around me, some of my family, they just, they don't understand me and some of them don't like me. You know what? There's something better coming. Find hope in your eventual destiny, your eternal destiny. You are bound for the promised land, as we heard a moment ago. What the text says here is, you are loved as God's child. You will be misunderstood. But third, you will be changed. The difficulties you deal with now will not always be there. You will be changed. Again, he repeats this theme. Presently your family, beloved, now are we the sons of God. Just in case you need that reminder. You are loved, you are sons of God, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be. So presently, okay, recognize it's your family, but humbly acknowledge you don't understand what it's all going to look like, right? What's it going to be like one day? We don't fully know. The Bible gives us glimpses into what eternity with God in heaven is like. And there's all these questions that come up, like, I'd like to know that, and I'd, I'd like to know that, and I'd, I'd like to know that. You know, if I were going to boil it down to two major themes, not all, But the two major themes we want to get about it is, one, you're with God. And like that alone is enough. But because you are with God, sin and all of its effects are over. That glorious reality, pain, suffering, sin is done. So he starts by saying, hey, remember, 
recognize your family, humbly acknowledge you don't get everything, understand it fully. But third, here's what you can know confidently. Confidently, just know that you'll be changed. Here's what you need to know. Beloved, we're sons of God. It doesn't yet appear what we shall be. But here's what you can know. Here's one thing you really need to get. When he shall appear, when, when Jesus returns, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In other words, find hope in your eventual destiny because you will be changed. It's one of those phrases that I almost can't still get comfortable saying, but I'll say it nonetheless because I believe it's what the text says. You will be like Jesus. That's a scary statement to make. That's astounding. But it is what the text says. When he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. We don't understand it fully. He just said that earlier. We know that uh, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but here's what you can know. There's coming a time when he will appear. When that happens, you will be like him. Even that word appear, by the way, kind of speaks to this confident, sudden reality. There is going to come a time when Jesus will return, when he will appear. Jesus himself emphasized that in John 14 when he told the disciples he would come back again. Jesus himself told the disciples that again in Acts chapter 1 at his ascension, that there would come a day when he returns. It is a reality that will happen again. Often we run to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 to find the comfort that that speaks to, addressing the same idea of this. But can I remind you that appearings are not things we generally get ready for? Right? Let's say, you may want to be glad this doesn't happen, let's say the church just decides to appear at your house this afternoon. You ready? I wanted to vacuum, or man, all the breakfast stuff is still out on the table, or I don't know, maybe it's all great, okay? You know, when something just appears, we've talked about before, you walk into a room and you thought you were by yourself, and all of a sudden you realize someone's there, it's like, whoa, man, where did they come from, okay? There's coming a day when Jesus will appear. And there are some things that we can do to try to get ready, to be being ready. We'll get to that in just a moment. But realize, at some point, Jesus is suddenly going to return. And when he does, it's a really good day for you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It's not like, oh no, give me more time. No, it won't be that way. Because when you see Jesus, you will be like him you'll see him as he is. It's this significant transition that takes place where 1 Thessalonians 4 says, we'll not all sleep, we shall all be changed at this moment, at this trump, when the dead in Christ rise. Again, you won't sin. You won't have a desire to sin. You want to do what's right and have a perfect relationship, perfect fellowship with God the Father. That's when our sonship becomes fully evident, right? 
Right now, I'm trying to look at what the Spirit of God gave through John and go, folks, you're God's child. He loves you. But then there's times where because of discouragement, because you've been beat up and given into sin and failed again, because of the hardness of life circumstances, you don't feel that. And you have to go back and bank on the truth and believe and abide and remain like we talked about last time at the end of 1 John 2. And persevere because he promised eternal life. Remember that was verse 26. Go ahead. But you know when you're with him, you won't wonder anymore what it looks like to be a son, to be part of that family. We've said a lot that that which is born of God has his nature. We're going to keep saying it because 1 John 4 picks that theme up again. We hit it in 1 John 1. God's in light. So if you know God, you need to walk in the light. If you don't walk in the light, then you don't know God. John paints it very black and white. That which is born of God has his nature. This is telling us that there's coming a day when you will look exactly like your father, your son, or his son. Your family resemblance will be clear because when you see him, you will be like him, for you will see him as he is. Consider your incredible identity. You are loved as God's child. Understand the consequential reality. You will be misunderstood. Find hope in your eventual destiny. You will be changed. You will be like Jesus. But fourth and finally, we need to focus on our personal responsibility. We need to focus on our personal responsibility. So many times over and over, Scripture does this where it presents us with instruction or truth, doctrine. Know this! And then it turns around and says, now live this. Entire books of the Bible, as we've talked about it before, are structured that way. Ephesians 1 to 3 is, know this. 4 to 6 is, so live this. And often what happens is we tend to like one of two extremes. Either we're like we're really practically driven, like just give me the help. I don't need to know all the doctrinal stuff. Just give me the practical help. Like how do I be careful with my words and how do I have a good marriage? And we skip the doctrine, which is a really bad way to go. Or on the other hand, we can go, great doctrinal truth. Man, look at what God's done and God loves me and I'm God's son. And then he turns around and says, so now here's how you need to live. And we're like, man, I'm glad God loves me. Both are true, Right? So we want to do both. We've talked about, here's your incredible identity. God loves you. Consequential reality, you'll be misunderstood. There's hope into your eventual destiny. You're going to be changed. But here is your personal responsibility. Grow in Christ-likeness. Live like Jesus now. We get overwhelmed with this one, I think, and so we're like, oh, because your words, your actions, even your thoughts are supposed to look like your Savior. <laughs> but that's what we're called to. Because in verse 3 he says, And every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. 
So every person who is a child of God, a son of God, every person, no one's left out, has this job. Because Christ is pure, because God is pure, I am to be seeking to live that way right now. When he says, every man that hath his hope, it's present tense. Every man is having the hope of God's love, the relationship of being his child, the expectation of future change, all of those things. What a wonderful hope to go, I am confident God loves me. I am confident that one day I will be with him. I am confident that one day sin will be over. All of those things are true. So, purify, cleanse, because he's pure. It's very similar, again, to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, where we're told, as obedient children, sons of God, 1 John 2, 1 Peter, as obedient children, not fashioning yourself according to the former lusts in your ignorance. In other words, don't do the old desires that are marked by sin and selfishness. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. In every way that you live, set yourself apart from sin, devoted completely to God. Everyone that has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. Again, that's our goal. Don't get off goal. Don't get off track. Right? We can close saying back, all right, Lord, I need to live for you. And you'll be on the ride home. And a conversation topic comes up. Someone says something in just a way where it's, and you let loose. Maybe you didn't make it out of the lobby. I don't know. Okay? It's hopeless. Just, it's just who I am. Where I wasn't going to give in to that temptation or that sin, and I did it again. You know what's awesome about First John? He already gave you the answer, didn't he? He gave it to you in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. Because in chapter 1, he told us, if we confess our sins, he is absolutely always reliable or faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or chapter 2, if, if any man sin, like that ever happens, right? If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Like, we can go and deal with our sin. So because if you've accepted Christ as Savior, you are loved by Him, you are His child, you have a wonderful future where you will be like Him, strive to live that out now. Strive to grow in Christ-likeness now. You won't do it perfectly. You will fail repeatedly. But you can't outfail God's forgiveness. So go to him again and again and again. Look at this text. You have an incredible identity. You're loved as God's child. Yes, what that means right now, there's a consequential reality. You will be misunderstood. 
but find hope in your eventual destiny. You're going to be changed and like Jesus one day. So right now, focus on your personal responsibility to grow in Christ-likeness, to live like Jesus today. Let's pray. Father, we go to your word here, and the truth is really just astounding. It's humbling to once again see your mercy, your grace, your love highlighted here for us. We do not deserve to be called your children. We've sinned against you. We've been enemies under your wrath. And before we ever had any inclination to you, you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins, to rise again, providing hope that sin in the grave could be overcome. Lord, I thank you that that is freely given to us. It's bestowed on us. We don't earn it. We don't work for it but you give it to us simply as we believe on Christ. Lord, in the midst of the grind here, we are also thankful for the understanding that one day we will be with you, the battle of sin over, declared perfect because of the work of your son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, now we stand in need of your grace. We stand in need of your forgiveness that we would be purifying ourselves, knowing you're completely perfect, you're completely pure. Lord, I pray that we would be a help to one another in striving for that goal. Lord, I pray that you would encourage each individual believer here in their own walk with you as well. That when they feel like they're struggling, like they can't make it, that you would give them the grace they need to fight temptation, to battle sin, to seek forgiveness to grow and strive for Christ-likeness. Lord, if once more we are humbled that you have loved us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Gingery, would you come lead us in a closing hymn?